we explore practical ways to put our inner calls at the service of the common good. Welcome to the Profit Podcast. Hi. Ciao. Hola. Salut. Ni hao. Hola. Apakaba. Sin ciao. Sawaji. Marhaban. Welcome to the show. We are your hosts, Evelyn Sanchez and Enrique Sanjais. You all know, we love talking about purpose. And more than that, about the different perspectives and points of view that our purposes take on in our lives, in our communities and in the world. What can we do? It's our passion. So today, we want to introduce you to a guest who works directly with this theme and whose purpose is indeed very powerful to equip entrepreneurs and also would-be entrepreneurs to be the best version of themselves, building thriving companies that solve humanity's greatest challenges. Nash Billy Moria is committed to helping drive a new paradigm of growing, thriving and socially valuable businesses for the 21st century. Focused on tech startups, he wants to unleash human potential in business based on leadership and management systems that scale people, impact and profit. Nash, who's an avid ski mountaineer in his spare time, is a frequent guest speaker and panelist. He authored numerous articles on purpose, scaling up high-performance teams, and curated an interview series with thought leaders called The Value of Purpose. He is also a founder and executive coach consultant at Nash Billy Moria Consultancy and professor of leadership and management at the Barcelona Technology School where he leads a program called My Digital Impact, designed to help students find their ikigai, the Japanese concept meaning reason for being, or purpose. And I had to tell you, our team here at the Profit Podcast simply love that ikigai concept. It's such an amazing and interesting rich method. Okay, okay, without further ado, let's welcome our guest, We are very happy to have you here, Nash. Be very, very welcome. Thank you, guys. Loving to be here. Thank you so much. Still trying to get over the microphone thing, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> you oh will my. notice what he's talking about in the picture on our social media. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, Nash, first of all, uh, we have done a quick intro introduction about you, but we want you to introduce yourself to our listeners, please. Could you tell them who you are and what you do? Well, I would much rather start with the what you do part because that's much easier. Um, what I do is um, I work with the CEOs and management teams of fast growth companies in tech, um, really trying to help them to develop their business as a human system. Uh, so many companies are focused around scaling up and they focus on scaling their technology and their product and their financial strategy. But how much are they scaling the human beings within the organization? And how much does the leadership and the management scale? You know, so often we hear it said that when a company fails, you know, what, what are the things that we hear said? Um, they didn't have enough money, they, they were undercapitalized, or um, they didn't have the right product, or something like this. But actually, if you if you reverse engineer Most of the time, um, it's really down to, to the human beings, the decisions that were made, 
um, the level of motivation in the team, the effectiveness and the efficiency of the team. So really my uh, high impact culture is a, is a method of acceleration for fast growth companies in tech who want to overcome the, the growing pains of scaling up of going from 15 to 150 people and who want to scale in three dimensions, uh, people meaning well-being, social impact meaning value to society, and of course profit. So that's what I do. Um, who I am, well, that's a much more difficult question to answer. I'm a dad, I'm uh, an entrepreneur. I'm a, well, first and foremost, I'm a human being. I think that's worth noting, right? Because we say we're from this country or that country. In fact, Eva was asking me where I was from earlier on and I was saying, well, <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no short answer to that question. So first and foremost, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just a human like everyone else and uh, really looking forward to the conversation. Heidi, I think you need to explain a little bit to our audience, where are you from? <laughs> and why is this a complicated question? You're not giving up on that one, eh, if I see. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, okay, I'll give you the medium, the medium answer, neither the short one nor the long one. Um, I was born in, in the United Kingdom, so I have a British passport. Um, my parents are from, uh, from India, they live in India. Um, I was fortunate to go to the international school in Geneva. So I spent the first, when I was very young, we moved to Switzerland and I spent the first 17 years of my life in the international school of Geneva. And then when I was 17 years old, um, my dad relocated to, to London, which I wasn't thrilled about. Um, and then I spent another 17 years there, obviously finished uh, education, went to university, ended up in, uh, in the investment banking industry, spent 10 years there. <clears throat> and then in the year 2013, I decided with uh, my wife and two kids, in fact, sorry, I didn't have two kids at that time, with my wife to move to Barcelona, Spain, which is where I now live. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you get in what you are doing today? I know that in your website, you put something about nearly losing your life in a lava lunch, like make mm. you take a U-turn and pick up your banking career. So how did this happen? Yeah, I mean, those are two, uh, two stories, um, making a U-turn in my banking career and having uh, a serious accident in the mountains that um, are both kind of relevant to the answer, but are two different, different stories. Um, you know, I spent 10 years in the investment banking industry, like I mentioned earlier on. And it was funny because when I graduated from university, um, I managed to land an internship. So within like three or four days, literally of my last exam at university, I went from being like a, a student bum, you know, living on, 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 well, I was gonna say beans on toast, but it wasn't quite that bad, but uh, you know, just living on rations and and then all of a sudden you know i was wearing a suit and tie i was coming up the escalators uh to canary wharf and walking to my uh to my job at, at the time i was at credit suisse credit suisse first boston uh, you know shaking hands with the ceo um you know and having this sense of like wow i think i've made it you know i've arrived here i am uh, and this sense of kind of self-importance and everyone walking around with these really well-kept suits and uh, everyone seemed with this great sense of confidence about themselves and about where they were going. And 
and I really did buy into that um, to that story. You know, I really did start to see myself within that that environment, and I quickly began to see my path to climbing the corporate ladder. You know, um, and so the first three or four years, I was very much a corporate person. Um, I really believed in it. I defended it. Um, and then somewhere over the course of three or four years, you know, things started to, to change in my perception a little bit. It was a very gradual thing. And eventually, if I fast forward several years, it got to a place where I don't know why or how this happened, but I felt trapped inside an industry. I felt like this is the life that I've chosen and therefore this is the life that I'm going to have. Um, I remember very clearly that like Fridays were always a cause for celebration. Um, Sundays, you know, Sunday after about midday, my mood would start to go down. And by Sunday evening, you know, I just consistently found myself feeling a little bit, a little bit low, a little bit, I wouldn't say depressed because that's a very strong word, but just not energized for the week ahead. And as I started to see this pattern in my own life, I inevitably started to ask myself the question, you know, no one's forcing me to do this. Why, why is it this way? Um, and that question just kind of gnawed away at me for a very long time. And, you know, as I started to read more widely about uh, situations in the world, socioeconomic situations, um, I had this overarching sense that the industry that I represented and the role that I was playing, I felt that I was part of a problem, honestly speaking. Um, I just didn't see that there was any real path to creating change at scale. Um, and on the contrary, you know, I just felt like the banking industry, maybe perhaps not in all aspects, but in, in many aspects was driving a lot of the inequality um, and funding a lot of things that I didn't believe in. Um, and generally, I just started to feel less and less that I was living the street. Um, the money was great, but that was it. And there was genuinely a lack of purpose, a lack of direction. And I remember one time coming back from uh, from a trip, I'd been ski mountaineering in the US. Ski mountaineering is one of the passions that I have. And I'd been with my brother who actually had chosen a completely different path. He became a mountain guide and was living in Jackson Hole in Wyoming. And I spent a few weeks with him and I just had this great time. And then I came back to my desk and I just couldn't reconcile the life that I'd just been living for three weeks in the mountains and and what I was facing in, in this corporate uh, world, this desk job. And I just started to, instead of feeling sorry for myself, I just started to think, you know, as I said, you know, no one's forced me to do this. Um, and, and I started to, to kind of think about how I might start a new, a new life outside of, outside of the banking industry. And gradually that was, you know, that's kind of what happened. I started to, craft a plan and a pathway to 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 get out thank you so much and Nash by the way um, we have met last year right for the first time mm -hmm. in the in one of the of the sessions of the economy Francesco uh, where mm -hmm. you you spoke about uh, what you 
some things that you do and, and, and most relatedly to reason for being, right? And we know uh, that um, Japanese has this reason for being concept called Ikigai. You yeah. know, right, what we are talking about. So our, my next question in this moment would be, what would be your own Ikigai? And how did you recognize that this is what you're passionate of? Yeah, um, by all means, you know, um, but w whatever I'm saying, and this is for me the, 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 the real learning in my life at the moment, uh, thanks to mentors and other people who, who are helping me, is, um, is, to, is to look for clarity, right? Everybody wants uh, clarity, right? Um, there's a, a very well-known individual in the world today, his name is Sadhguru, and he says that confidence without clarity is a disaster. So the other day I went for a, a walk or a hike with a friend of mine, and I was super confident about the direction that we were going. But actually when I, when I, when I later on, I realized I didn't actually have much clarity. And I was so confident, I, I was walking through the forest and these two horse riders uh, were, were crossing the path. And this woman just, <laughs> she took one look at me and she said, are you lost? And I was like, how did she know that? Like, and I was a bit defensive about it. I was like, no, not really. Uh, you're not really lost and then I was like you know and I was heading to this place called Box Hill and I kind of pointed my hand and I said is, is Box Hill in Box Hill is in this direction right and then she kind of had this big grin and she was like no Ray, it's over there <laughs> <laughs> the opposite direction <laughs> it was literally like it was it was it could not have been more opposite it was like the, the literally the other side of the direction I was pointing and so the point that I'm making is like I had confidence but I didn't have clarity and if I kept on walking would I have got to Box Hill no would I have gotten further away from box hill yeah right yeah so when i was in the banking industry um i pretty much knew what i didn't want but i did not know what i did want and and for me with my level of appetite for risk and everyone has a different appetite for risk um that was enough you know knowing that i didn't want that so when i realized that i wanted out of the banking industry i was probably four years in and i ended up staying for a total of 10 years so that means i did another six years after i realized that i wanted out and because I realized that I wanted out and I also knew that I didn't want to go back into employment. I didn't want to go to another industry and be another cog in another wheel somewhere. I wanted to kind of be the master of my own my own path. And so in order to do that, I knew I needed to save some money. I needed uh, some income and so on. So long story short, I, I uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and now my wife, I kind of convinced her into this <laughs> into this. Uh, radical path as well you should interview her she'll have a different version of the story <laughs> um but anyways uh yeah so we basically stayed on for six years we saved uh quite quite a big chunk of money uh i bought a, a piece of well i bought a house during that time and then i acquired uh, planning permission to demolish the house and build four flats so when i finally left my banking job in 2012 i had a project where i was putting the money that we'd saved along with some money that i'd raised uh to demolish the house and i became the project manager for my own like mini construction project for a year and a half and yeah constructed these four flats and then i had some income um to be able to 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 buy myself some time is, you know, people say time is money, but money is also time. Um, so to, to buy myself the time to be able to figure out like, you know, what does this life want to do? What do I want to contribute to? And more than it being 
Um, so let's go back to the Ikigai thing. The Ikigai has, has these four interlocking circles. People can look it up. Um, but one of those circles is about what does the world need? Yeah. And I think that's a really important circle, right? Because if you go off on your path and you're like, I'm going to do this because it's my passion, but it has nothing to do with what, what's really needed in the world, then in the end, it's not going to tick your box of, of, of feeling fulfilled because you're contributing to others' lives because it's not actually necessary. It's not needed. So we have to kind of be in touch with what are the needs of our time. Um, you know, and those needs are all around us. Um, and then we have to marry that together with, with what we love, uh, what we're, what we're good at, what we're uniquely good at, what our strengths and unique capabilities are. And, um, and yeah, how we can, how we can thrive from that or, or what Ikigai calls, you know, what you can be paid for. So in my case, um, I did the property thing and that was more of a, a means to an end. It was more of a way of generating some income so I could have some breathing space and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I started doing some freelance uh, consulting work for uh, a friend of mine who was running a startup locally to where I was doing my construction project in South London. And, um, you know, we were having dinner one day and uh, he was telling me about some challenges he was facing in his business. And I said, oh, well, you know, why don't you try this, this and this? And he said, look, Nash, I have no time. But if you want to come in and do it, you know, go ahead, be my guest. And so he kind of invited me into his business on a very informal basis. And I started helping him and we worked together for about 18 months. And so that was like, you know, a really interesting opportunity. It wasn't really about the money. It was more about like getting immersed in an entrepreneurial company, learning, asking a lot of questions, seeing things, spotting things, and then proposing solutions. I was working on the level of the management team. I was working on some aspects of strategy. I was helping them to define their purpose. I was helping them to define a performance management uh, approach and so on. So I was just really learning a lot. Um, that was great. And then at the same time, I got to meet Lachlan and The Blueprint. Sorry to interrupt. If you want to know more about Lachlan, you can listen to our very first episode of Profit Podcast. He was our very first guest. Now back to our show. And I went on this uh, immersion program run by the Blueprint for Better Business, um, and and you know I left that um, that 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 program with way more questions than I than I had come in with, and way more questions than I had answers. Cliche as it sounds, I really was like, wow, this has just opened my mind. Now I have a lot of questions, and so um, I was. Uh, resourceful enough to get Lachlan's email and Lachlan was foolish enough to give me his email and uh, after that I just kind of hounded him with with lots and lots of questions and you know having a mentor and Lachlan is one of of, of three mentors that I have you could even say four um, and having mentors in your life is really really valuable um, a mentor is just somebody who cares and is invested in your success and who's willing to uh accompany you on the journey and somebody who has some experience that you find to be valuable and we have to seek out mentors they don't they don't just come and they 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 arise when we have lots of good questions or not even good questions just i wouldn't even say my questions were necessarily any good they were just they were just burning questions and i wasn't willing to settle for a cheap answer and so um the, the 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 mentor relationship was also very very important and then you know fast forward to today now i have this this consultancy that i'm i'm growing and, and hoping to scale well in the process of scaling uh, i'm launching a brand it's called remap and within remap is is high impact culture and as i said at the start high impact culture is a method of transformation for uh, fast growth, for CEOs and management teams of fast growth companies, mostly tech companies, uh, but not necessarily tech companies, some fast growth companies who are experiencing the growing pains of scaling up. That means 
Um, you know, they're suddenly losing clients. They have a high rotation of staff. There's uh, issues of, of culture and motivation and performance. There's silos. Uh, there's often difficulty raising investment. Those are some of the growing pains of scaling up. And I use the lens of business as a human system of which purpose is a part to build a more high-performing uh, organization. So it's not like I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't really describe myself as one of those uh, kind of like purpose type consultancies. The way I see it is like, you know, human beings are, are at their best, universally speaking, when they can see and recognize that the work that they're doing every day is actually contributing to the betterment of other people. That's just part of our makeup as human beings. We feel great when we help other people. It gives us a sense of, of deep fulfillment. Um, we also feel great when we have a voice, when we're heard, when we play to our strengths, when we have the opportunity to grow and learn, when, we're, when we have autonomy and, you know, and so on and so forth. So there's certain factors that, that drive human beings to be the best version of themselves. And high impact culture is a method of scaling a business, which is built, the leadership and management systems are built on an understanding of what drives human beings to be the best version of themselves. That's what business human system is about. And so naturally those companies um, end up accelerating, not just in profit, not just trying to become the next unicorn, but also the well-being of their teams, and the value they create for society becomes paramount to their success. So their success definition is kind of inclusive. Thank you very much, Nash. Uh, yes, uh, actually, we were reading the, the program the, of this high impact culture, and you you state you say that there that success beyond profit last step. But what is your experience versus to your client? Honestly, I don't. I don't present purpose to my clients. Not at the beginning. But this is what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong in it. But I'm not a consultancy that is like one in the purpose industry or sector or something. I don't see it that way. Um, I don't propose purpose. And th again, this is largely, you know, steered and guided uh, a lot by Lachlan and his helping me to to think in a different way about how high impact culture can and should work. One of the one of the many things that I've gleaned from from our conversations, uh, my conversation with Lachlan, is is how if we're in the space of helping companies or human beings, or you know, in any capacity, whether you're a physiotherapist or a or a psychologist or or a consultant, doesn't matter. Um, what we have to do or ought to do is address the presenting problem. This is pure Lachlan words, the presenting problems. You know, he would always talk about what are the presenting problems? That was always his first question. When I would present a dilemma to him about a client, he would say, yeah, but what are their presenting problems? So in other words, what are they challenged with right now? What is it that they want to solve right now? So I don't go in there with content. I'm like, hey, you need a purpose. You need this, you need a new culture. No. I have content, I have a method, and I see the content and the method is like, imagine a bookshelf with lots and lots of different uh, books and sources and whatever. The bookshelf has a parameter, right? It's not an endless bookshelf, right? So I don't do everything. It's got it's got a boundary. And provided your your problems are solved by some of the content within that, within that bookshelf, our role, I believe, is to listen and really tune in and listen to what are the symptoms of the problem that whoever it is is presenting you know it could be to do with investment it could be to do with motivation it could be to do with uh, uh the product and technology it could be anything right? what is what is the presenting thing it's like the surface level problem that they see and feel and experience day to day and then we have to be able to differentiate between the presenting problem and the root cause right and and we have to, you know, that's part of our, our, our work is to understand like what's behind that. What, 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 
what causes those presenting problems to exist. And once we've really listened, and, and, and listening is not a one-off thing, it just constantly has to happen, then we can go to the bookshelf and be like, you know what, I, I think this piece of content is going to be really useful for that at this moment in time. And it could be that that piece of content is around purpose because purpose solves problem. It's not something that we should do out of a greater sense of responsibility or, or some sense of like moral responsibility. No, we're doing it because it makes sense for each and every one of us. We feel more energized. Who doesn't feel more energized when they're clear on their, on their purpose, right? That's why people are in pursuit of it. So, so purpose solves, can solve a number of problems on a personal level and on a collective uh, level in terms of teamwork, in terms of collaboration, in terms of drive and commitment, in terms of achieving results, um, innovation, right? Everyone talks about innovation, but purpose is the context for innovation. If nobody cares fundamentally about what they're doing and why, how likely are they to innovate? And how much more likely are they to innovate if they do deeply care and resonate with the purpose of the organization or the team or whatever? And so what I'm trying to say here is like, it's not content first. It's not like, okay, we've got to take this content, this purpose thing and and push it on company. And that, that's, that's been part of the learning. Um, that it's great to have method and structure because in the absence of method and structure, it's kind of chaos, you know? So method and structure is really useful to organize your thinking and to give you clarity and confidence. But it, we just can't afford to lead with the content because then it doesn't result in transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Our next question is has a lot to do with this last word of yours, transformation. Um, how is what you're doing today and what you have been doing uh how is it changing people's lives i mean have any of your clients ever said something to you because of what you did or something you have uh contributed to them can you share an experience about that with us please yeah um i mean there's a lot of examples to to choose from but let me share a, a recent one with you so um about maybe a month ago i was I, i'm working with the management team of a um of an online vc venture capital <clears throat> and um the ceo had recently his wife had had a baby so he was off and uh another member of the exec team was really really uh, snowed under with with a massive amount of work and probably quite stressed and then another member of the team who i was uh doing some work with you know had to pick up a lot of the pieces in between whilst the ceo was away and whilst they were trying to transform different parts of the business that were really struggling. And we came into the session and it was just two of us and we sat down and it was like a one-on-one kind of executive coaching session. And I said, hey, uh, you know, whatever the guy's name was, I said, you know, how's things going? And he just began to talk and talk and talk. And he was visibly stressed. And he talked about how, um, you know, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, He talked about not being able to sleep, feeling sleep deprived. You know, he was a smoker and he was, it doubled his, his the number of cigarettes he was having per day. Um, you know, he was very mentally distracted and he was just feeling really unwell, just really stressed. And he had this mild headache. Um, and then he kind of like explained all of this. And then he was like, anyways, anyways, don't worry about all of that. Let's get down to work. And I was like, I was like, no, dude, um, this is the work. This is the work. You know, there is no work in parallel to this. Uh, it's not life and then work. It's work happens as one of the components of, of your life. Um, and so we then just began to talk about the mechanics of his mind and where the stress was actually coming from. Because it looked to him like the situation 
And you talked earlier on, Enrique, about the word anxiety, right? And it <laughs> often looks like, you know, that anxiety is coming from the outside world and attacking us. That situations are stressful. And we just began to, to talk about that. And that's really within the balance component or dimension of high impact culture is about mental balance. Because when we're clear, when we're mentally balanced, we have insights, we have breakthrough thinking, we have innovation, we have synergy, we have collaboration, we have trust. So I don't actually work on all of those things, I just work on the balance. And so in my mind, this guy was sitting in front of me and what he really needed to do was just to slow down the mental process. And so we just had a conversation about what was going on in his mind and where his experience was coming from, whether it was coming from outside or whether it was coming from inside. And I just asked him some questions and about half an hour later, I just saw that he was smiling, he'd relaxed. And, and then we started talking about some specific topics of the business and he was just shocked and he was, he was clear. And then the next day, or maybe two days later, I dropped him a WhatsApp message and I said, hey man, how, how are you feeling? How are you after our session? And he said, I've had the, the two best days that I can remember having. Um, I'm sleeping well, feel like relaxed, I'm enjoying my food again. I'm, I'm, you know, and he sent me this long message about all the things that, and, and on the work level, he was, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't able to do everything, but he was able to focus on the things that were really the most important thing and, and really make progress on. And this is, uh, this is how it worked. True. That's true. Yeah. Yes, he was yeah. drowning and, and with your, the conversation that had found balance relations. Really mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we heard that. Well, thank you so much, Nash. Now we want to ask uh, how, if I, I know that many people with your work. For sure. Uh, how can people, <laughs> yeah. How can people contact you and know better about your work? Um, well, one easy way would be to connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, Nash Billimoria, B-I-L-L-I-M-O-R-I-A. My full mm -hmm. name is actually Nashak Billimoria, but I've abbreviated to Nash because it's often mispronunciated. But anyway, so Nash Billimoria, um, and you can you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, private message me. I'm very active on on LinkedIn. I create content and so on. So that would be a very easy way of doing it. You can also email me at nash at nashbillimoria.com. Mm -hmm. um, one of those two ways. And um, yeah, I'm in the process, as I said, of, of launching a, a brand, which is called Remap. And Remap will be going live uh, at the end of August. I've written a white paper about uh, purpose and OKRs nice. strategy, which might be uh, interesting depending on, on what the viewers are, are into. Yes. Um, yeah, so that would be an easy way of, uh, of being in touch. Fantastic. As, as always, we're going to inform this in our description. So please, listeners, just refer to it. Uh, <laughs> as we are moving to the last part of our episode, um, I will let Eve present because she loves that part. Go ahead, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the rapid questions. So you need to ask us. Uh, Hold on, let me get let me get right in my seat. I, I gotta yes, get straight here. Yes, are okay. you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are yeah, very ready. simple questions, but uh, I hope so. as we discuss, <laughs> we we also like to be, to put people's dignity first and to have this this bond with our guests. So that's why these sections exist. So, uh, are you ready? What is your favorite food? Indian. Mm, good. Uh, we know you are an avid ski mountaineer, so we would like to know three places where you have been, which you would like, uh, where you, you were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Easy question. 
uh, Teton National Park, Grand Teton National Park, Wyoming, incredible place. Um, Val d'Aran in the Pyrenees, Val d'Aran, D apostrophe A R A N, incredible place. And um, you know, all over the Swiss Alps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, those amazing. are three of my favorite spots. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite local holiday? The Pyrenees. Mm, nice. Besides ski mountaineering, <laughs> mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. are two other sports you like the most? Um, rock climbing and uh, trail running. Oh, nice. Oh, I'm passionate about running too. Running too. <laughs> nice. Really good. Okay, next question. Please give us a book recommendation. Dan Coyle wrote a book called The Culture Code, which I thought was very good, very easy to read, very relevant. Good book. Great. Nice. Thank Great. you. Do we have some more? Yeah, I, I, I'm curious about one thing. Do you like football? And if so, which is your team? <laughs> I, I love playing sports and I enjoy watching sports. Like right now, the Olympics is on and I enjoy watching it because I love the mastery. I love the dedication. I love all the stuff. But if I have the choice between playing a sport and watching a sport, I would always choose to play. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of time that I actually spend watching sports is now really, really little. I mean, I've got two young boys, I got a growing business, um, you know, just got a really busy life. And for me to like sit and, and follow a team and watch football, it's just not something I make time for because I'd rather be out on my mountain bike or doing something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yes, great choice. Great. But if there, if there was a team, it would be Liverpool. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that. that. That was not a quick response. As no, you, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but it but you took you took you took ages to ask the question, so I took the liberty <laughs> of taking a little. <laughs> It's fair, okay. <laughs> We could close with the call for action. This call for action for our audience, Nash. What do you have for us? Look for look for challenging questions. You know, what are the burning questions that you have? That's my question to you, to all of the people listening. What are the burning questions that you have? Deep or shallow, doesn't matter. What are the questions that you really want answers? And don't be don't be satisfied with answers that don't satisfy you. You know, we have all the answers, all the talk, but the questions, they're the they're the things that move us forward. So my question to you is what are the burning questions that you have? What are the questions that if you had answers to would move your life forward? And then go in pursuit of finding those answers and don't give up. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you once again. Wow, very deep. Yes. <laughs> Listeners, okay, just <laughs> just breathe. You asked for it. You asked yeah. for it. You. <laughs> Fair enough. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Nash, for being here with thank us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for just inviting me and uh, the audience for being here. It's really, really, really pleasure. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss the future content, make sure to subscribe. You can also share with us a photo of yourself listening to this episode and tag us on social media. We are at Profit Podcast. We have a challenge for you. Go to our social media and you will find our quest post for this episode. It is an actionable challenge related to what you have just heard we are sure we'll help you in this journey for a purposeful life. We want to hear from you too. Share your superpower stories with us. That will help other adventurers to stay inspired as well. If you want to support us, give us a review on any platform you are listening to this podcast. It will help others to discover us. 
This interview is produced by a group of young people inspired by the values of the economy of Francesco. Our team members are Alessandra Fasol, Enrico Sunjes, Ingrid Ocampo, Vincent Chi, Martin Kapka, and me, Evelyn Sanchez. Thank you for listening. And remember to bring out your superpower from your inner universe to the whole world. See, See you, you next time. time.